Greetings, it's my privilege to teach you today with from the Psalm 57 in our series on the Psalms. And I've entitled this message, Let Your Glory Be Over All the Earth, a key phrase from <clears throat> Psalm 57. Let me read the Psalm for us first. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among man-eating beasts whose teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Father in heaven, as we study this psalm from your holy Bible, from your word, help us to apply it to our lives. When we are in difficulty and in disastrous times, um, help us to put into practice what this psalm says. Help us to lift our eyes to heaven and to, and to taste of your transcendence, to see what you have for us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, first of all, let me just share with you the context for this psalm. Um, I want to go back a little bit and say that we studied Psalm 55, and that was the story of betrayal. Remember um, the story of when Absalom had uh, betrayed his father, and then Ahithophel joined in the conspiracy, and David uh, wrote Psalm 55. A lot of Psalm 55 would apply to that type of situation, if not exactly that situation. And in that um, Psalm, we, we focused on the structure. We looked at a lot of things about how we repeat uh, the truth to ourselves and we grieve out the offense of the other person, the enemy. But the core big idea that came out of Psalm 55 was this verse 22, cast your cares on Yahweh and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And so um, by putting your trust in God and seeing what he's doing and how he's working, it will um, give us the confidence we need to get through that suffering. He will sustain us. He will never let us be shaken. So from Psalm 55, we learned that one of the things we can do when we face a difficult time or a suffering is to cast our cares on him and he will sustain us. Then we studied Psalm 56 which was the story of when David fled from Saul to Gath and, um, and had to hide with King Achish. Remember the whole story about how Jonathan was going to um, give him the signal 
And sure enough, Saul did want to take his life. And so David flees and he winds up in Gath. And then the uh, generals of the king Achish of Gath, um, they start to be suspicious because David's a mighty warrior from the other team, from the other side. And so then David has to pretend to be insane. And he gets, uh, he gets ignored by Achish. Achish kicks him out because he thinks he's just insane. And so then David goes off and runs. And he writes this psalm according to the title of this psalm. This was the song that he would have written at that time, which it applies potentially. But in that psalm, 56, what we saw, the emphasis was when David said, In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. And so he trusts God's word, his promises, and he trusts God's person. And he says, I am not afraid. And he reminds himself, what can mere mortals do to me? And so in this psalm, the key idea was, that the trust God, what can mere mortals do to me? So again, Psalm 55, one of the things David does when he's discouraged is he, he remembers that God will take care of him. He casts his cares on him and God sustains him. And another time when he's in trouble, he focuses on trusting God and trying to decide uh, and trying to remind himself, why am I afraid of other people? They can't hurt me. Even the worst they can do is just give me a life in heaven. As, uh, as Paul would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what can a mere mortal do to me? Um, Jesus says, don't fear him who can kill your body, but he can kill your soul and put it into hell. And so we want to trust God because mere mortals cannot deal with us in an ultimate way. They cannot destroy us. All they can do, even, even the executioner is really just a gardener. He just puts us in the ground and we can plant and grow and uh, be resurrected on the other side. So Psalm 55 was a time of David's trouble and he cast his cares on God. Psalm 56 is another time of David's trouble, and he focuses on what more, what can mere mortals do to him. And so then now we have Psalm 57, and this is the story of the cave, according to the um, title of Psalm 57. Again, Psalm 57 is the psalm we're doing today. The title talks about this is when he fled to the cave of Adullam. And so the cave of Adullam is where he ran to after he fled from Achish. And so David spends a couple of years, I think it is, running from Saul, and he spends a lot of time in caves during that time. So his first time in the cave is here in 1 Samuel 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and fathers and household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So in the cave of Adullam, that was his headquarters. And that was the beginning of his fleeing from Saul. Saul comes out several times to try to get him. And then one of the last times in Psalm 24, eight, uh, in Psalm 24, uh, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. And David sneaks up and cuts a piece of his robe off. And so after he, Saul leaves, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen to when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut it off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you. 
but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may Yahweh avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And so David uh, says those things to King Saul. And, um, and Saul relents from chasing him anymore. And so this is the uh, either the first scene in the cave or the last scene in the cave or sometime in between. David writes this song in the cave. And one of the key phrases he says is in verse 11, the last verse of Psalm 57, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And so it's interesting to me to think about if in Psalm 55, his method of encouraging himself was to cast his cares on the Lord, knowing that God would sustain him. And in Psalm 56, he tells us about he trusts God because he remembered, he reminded himself, what can mere mortals do? What can Saul do to me? What can Achish do to me? And Psalm 57, in the story of the cave, what is the emphasis this time? What is the key idea? You see, um, I, I think it would be erroneous for us to think that as we face, <clears throat> excuse me, as we face challenges and difficulties in our life, it would be erroneous for us to think that there's one pat answer that the that we can just you know plug and play this particular song or this particular phrase and we'll be all set. I think um, I think it's wise to have a whole quiver full of arrows of truth to remind ourselves. And um, Psalm 56 or Psalm 55, remind ourselves that we can trust the Lord. He cast our cares on Him. So. Sometimes it's visually good for us to visualize ourselves casting our cares. And then uh, Psalm 56, to trust in God, remind ourselves, there's nothing that anybody can do to me. But other times, Psalm 57 tells us to take another tactic. But before we get into that exact tactic, or that other, um, I hate to use the word tactic, that other uh, discipline, maybe a spiritual discipline of how to deal with struggles, let me also point out that Psalm 108, verses 1 to 5, repeats Psalm 57, 7 to 11, exactly, almost exactly. There's a couple words different. But the point is, is that this particular phrase, the, the crescendo, the ending part of Psalm 57, gets copied and used for the introduction to Psalm 108, which is a psalm about asking God for deliverance from God's enemies. And so let me just read those first five verses of Psalm 108 to remind us of what's being repeated. Psalm 108 says, My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake the harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. So this particular phrase of, of waking up your soul and then I'm going to use my musical instruments to wake up the dawn. So an early morning praise song. I'm going to wake it up the dawn. And then he says, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. There's a contemporary Christian song version of this too that puts these verses to, to uh, music. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And so um, that was the context of Psalm 57. It goes from 
Psalm 55, 56, and 57, and then it gets repeated, part of it gets repeated in Psalm 108. So now I wanted to make some more specific observations regarding Psalm 57 itself. First of all, I want to point out that there's an emphasis on the words love and kindness, which in the Hebrew is um, the idea of hesed, which is covenant loyalty, covenant love, and the kindness then is the, um, the firmness, the trustworthiness, the faithfulness of God. So look how in Psalm 57 verse 3, he sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love, his hesed, his covenant loyalty, and his faithfulness, his firmness, his, his, his strength, his, his trustworthiness, his faithfulness. So those are emphasized in verse 3 and then again in verse 10. For great is your hesed, your love, reaching to the heavens, your covenant loyalty. When you promise to love me, that, that love lasts. It's higher than the heavens. And your firmness, your faithfulness reaches all the way to the skies. So while Psalm 56 talked about, I trust in your truth and your word, and Psalm 55, when he was talking about the um, betrayal of Ahithophel, he talked about how um, God had worked and done things. In this case, he's talking about God's love and his kindness. So there's emphasis there. But he also has an emphasis on the word heaven. Look how many times in Psalm 57, um, David refers to the heavens. I cry to God most high. So way up high, I'm pointing up to the high, the transcendent part of God, the one who vindicates me, the one who sets me right. Did you catch that in the speech when David was talking to um, Saul after he cut the corner of his robe? He says, may the Lord judge between us. May the Lord vindicate me. He needs to, I want you to realize I am not trying to rebel against you, Saul. You are not in danger of me. You're trying to kill me for no reason. And so he calls out to God most high. And then he sends from heaven and saves me. And so David again points out that God's rescue came from heaven. And he rebukes those who hotly pursue me. So God rebukes Saul. And God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. So as high as I can think of, those clouds went there. Which is an interesting imagery when you think of he's writing this in a dark cave. But he says, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. For great is your love, reaching up to the heavens, reaching up to the skies. And so the heavens can be the atmospheric heavens, the, the clouds, and then all the way to the sun, moon, and stars, and into the galaxies and beyond, all the way reaching the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches up to the skies, as high as I can possibly think. So again, there's an emphasis on these things. And then in verse 11, be exalted a God above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And so those two verses, verses 10, great is your love reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the sky, so that your, your great is your love, it reaches there, it reaches there, but you yourself, God, be exalted above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. And so God's glory is amazing and great. So there's an emphasis on love and kindness, there's an emphasis on the heavens, but I also want to point out that there is an emphasis on worship itself. If you recall, sometimes I like to put the entire um, psalm in, on the screen <clears throat> so you can see the structure of it. And uh, again, I put in green font the repeated sections. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth is repeated in both verse 5 and 11. And I know you can't read that, but you can at least see it. And <clears throat> as was my custom before, there's a request. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. So David makes a request section. 
and then he um, he describes the problem that he's in. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, I'm in the midst of lions. I've got that problem. And he responds with worship. And then he has another section of worship down at the bottom that starts. And I don't have the sequence right here, but the description and speaking the truth, speaking the truth. So the point is, is that the flow of the psalm goes from request to speaking the truth. I cry out to God Most High who vindicates me. He describes the problem he's facing. Then he talks about worship, be exalted, O God. He describes the problem again, which is typical. He usually describes the problem twice. He speaks more truth to himself. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. And then the entire end of the psalm, those last five verses, are all worship songs. Wake, my soul. Wake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. So I wanted you to see that structure, but perhaps what's even more interesting is to compare it to Psalm 56. So this is the structure of Psalm 56, um, and the repeated part was, in, in God whose word I trust, in God I trust, I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? In God whose word I trust, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I'm not afraid. What can mere humans do to me? So in Psalm 56, those things are repeated there. And those are the speaking the truth parts. So the two yellow boxes are repeated. And there's some blue worship boxes. And there's two request boxes. But you can see that that's the structure. But by comparison, if you do Psalm 57 and kind of use the same rules, notice that the request, there's only one request section at the beginning. Uh, again, there's two yellow boxes speaking the truth. Two green boxes, description of the problem. But look at how much blue there is. There's a, there's a, two worship boxes, but the worship portion takes up a larger portion. So do you see that in, in Psalm 57, there's more blue and less red, I guess is what I want to point out. There's, there's more worship, more gratitude expressed, and less requesting. And, uh, and otherwise, the other things are about in balance. And so again, just as an emphasis then, what I'm trying to say is that in Psalm 57, and by comparison to the other Psalms in this series, that there is an emphasis on worship. And so <clears throat> my next point then is that's the context for the Psalms, 56, 57, 55, 56, 57, and then the observations specifically regarding Psalm 57. And so now I'd sort of like to talk to you about the application. If it's true that Psalm 55, the story of winter betrayal, if that's the right thing to do there is to cast your cares on him and remember that he'll sustain you. And in Psalm 56, the story of fleeing to Gath, acting insane in front of Achish, and he reminds himself, what can mere human beings to be do to me? So now in Psalm 57, the story of the cave, what is his remedy? What is his spiritual discipline? It's be exalted, O God, above the heavens. You see, what, what David is teaching us here is that sometimes when you're low, when you're discouraged, when the enemy is there and he just and he's right outside the door, you're in the cave hiding, it's all darkness. Sometimes what we need to do is just turn around and think about how great God is. Have you ever thought about how amazing it is that there's this creator God who can who can stretch out the heavens but with the breath of his mouth and um, and just expand across things. You know, we have 
photographs from the Hubble spacecraft, uh, the Hubble telescope, that show pictures of explosions of of gases and power and, and matter across the universe. And and one of them, the the fingers of the explosion was measured nine light years across. Just one, the it would take light nine years to travel across this one little feather of the explosion of power. And it's just in inescapably, unassailably huge beyond our comprehension. It's so amazing. And yet God is exalted above those heavens. He's the one who created them. That's a walk in the park for him. He is so high and transcendent. He is so able to do anything. And when I get caught in my daily grind or the conflicts of life or the discouragements that I face, when I, when I lift up my head and, and see the heavens and, and see how majestic everything is, you know, even a mountain can be inspiring. It's so transcendently large. When you get close to a mountain, you realize, wow, those, those green things that I thought were grasses are actually pine trees, large trees, and, and those little crevices are huge rocks and huge boulders, and that little trickle is a, is a waterfall, and they're just so huge when you get close to them. You can't, and you get closer and you realize how big and how big and how big it is. It's, it's overwhelming. Or a thunderstorm which, which towers above the mountains and it just blooms up larger and larger and anvils out at the top of the stratosphere. You see, God is greater than all of my little troubles. And, and sometimes the best thing for me to do is just take a, a big dose of the transcendent. I think that's a phrase from Jen Wilkins is a daily dose of the transcendent. We need to think about how big God is. It's not all about us. It's about him. And so be exalted, O God, above the heavens. So what would my application be for us today from Psalm 57? Well, I think I just said it. First of all, focus on the transcendence of God. Look at what David says. I cry out to God most high. I think about God being the one who's most high, to the one who vindicates me. He's the judge of all the earth. He sins from heaven and saves me. When God rescues me, it's not a, a weak person coming from across the street. It's, it's God from heaven sending, and he rebukes those who hotly pursue me. And he sends forth his love and his faithfulness. This high and transcendent one is loyal to me because of his promise. You see, in the Lord Jesus, when Jesus died for my sins, God promised Jesus that anyone who believed in him that would be kept safe. And so I am a promised gift to Jesus. Jesus cannot lose me because God promised me as one of Jesus's people, as his bride, and, and, and God sends forth his love to me. He's, his covenant loyalty is so great that he will protect me from all wrongs and he, he will deliver me from this earth and he will bring me to Jesus and Jesus will not lose me. And so God sends forth his covenant loyalty and his, his faithfulness, his firmness, he just doesn't waver. He's so stubbornly good. He's so, so faithful. He, he's, he's unmovable. He's not malleable. He's not mushy. He's firmly faithful. And so I can remember those things. So we should focus on God's transcendence when we're in times of discouragement. And therefore, another way of saying maybe the same point is to set your high eyes on the heavens. Look up. Quit looking down so much. Set your eyes on the heavens. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. You see, this, 
this Hesed faithfulness of God is not only coming from heavens to me, but in itself, it is so huge. Who could ever measure the love of the width and the height and the breadth of the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? His love reaches to the heavens. His love reaches everywhere. God's love is greater than that nine light year piece of that explosion. God's greater. Love is greater than it all. And so his love reaches to the heavens and his firmness, his kindness, his, his strict, unchanging persistence in always being firm and loving me, that reaches to the skies. And so I need to remember those things. Look to the heavens. And I can say with the psalmist, be exalted, O God. You deserve to be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You get glory in this earth. Even if my suffering gives you glory, I want you to get glory in all, all the earth. So focus on the transcendence of God. Another way of saying that is set your eyes on the heavens. And again, finally, Psalm 55 says, cast your cares on him, he'll sustain you. That's a good thing to do. And sometimes another good tactic is to remind ourselves, what can mere mortals do to me? I need to trust God. And sometimes I need to just get out of myself and, and exalt God above the heavens. So really all three of these things are the things that we should do. But you need to understand that all of these things are possible because of what Jesus has done. Jesus died on the cross and bore the penalty for our sins and, and carried all of our sorrows with him and all of our uh, infirmities and our diseases. And by his stripes, we are healed. And so we can, we can cast our cares on Jesus because he has demonstrated that he will carry them all. And we can trust him because what can any human being do to me that wasn't already done to Jesus and he was victorious and now I'm in Christ and I can exalt him above the heavens. Jesus deserves to be um, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're gonna bow down and worship him and declare that Jesus is the I am, the Lord of all heaven and earth. And so because of these relationships with God, because of his un dying faithfulness and his hesed covenant loyalty. Jesus is super loyal. Jesus is super firm and consistent. He will never change. No matter how many times I vacillate, he does not. And so we can trust him and have an eternal glory. So may God be encouraging you as he's encouraged me as I've studied this Psalm 57. Father in heaven, we do pray. We ask that your glory would be above the heavens. Oh, your glory would be above the earth. Be exalted, O oh God, above the heavens. May your glory be over all the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about our church, online resources, and in-person services, our website is the best place to check, wpbiblefellowship.org. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus and may you grow in his grace.